0: I am delighted to say I'm live with uh, E. Michael Jones. Mike is the editor and chief of Culture Wars magazine. He is the uh, author and pub- author of uh, various books: uh, Barn Metal, The Slaughter of Cities, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, and his uh, new book, which came out recently, Logos Rising. Um, I will say before I go on, I will air this interview on my radio uh, platforms on Thursday, tomorrow. Uh, which is revisionmedia.org. That is 5 till 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, which I've interviewed Mike on before. Uh, I will air it on there too. That is 4 till 5 Eastern Time, at 9 till 10 p, uh, p.m. UK Time. And in light of what we're going to be discussing here tonight, I think those platforms are becoming ever more important as well as other platforms. Uh, Mike, I. I had a text message through uh, less than forty eight hours from my son actually to let me know that your YouTube channels, both your E Michael Jones channel and the Culture Awards, uh the channels, have been absolutely and totally just deleted now. Right. Um, break that down for us. Obviously, going back as far as three or four years ago, when we first did uh, interviews, we have been discussing this. Many, the irony, of course, many of the discussions we've had. Have been about how we've been peaceable, but what we've been talking about, um we haven't uh, been inciting hatred or violence. Uh, far from it. And uh, even those videos. I mean, I, I think uh, a video I did with you a year ago was completely deleted, which was a video that we spent probably about twenty minutes talking about censorship and uh, cancel culture, etc. So break it all down. It's uh, we hoped that it wouldn't get this bad. But sadly, you're not alone as well. There's been others recently which oh. have had their channels just completely deleted.
1: Yeah, well, to get to get down to specifics, this has nothing to do with promoting violence or fraud or criminal activity or any of these bad things. It has to do with uh, the fact that we're in the middle of a revolution right now in the United States, and one of the first things you do when you uh, in when you in, involved in a coup d'état in a banana republic as you take over the radio station, uh, because at that point you then control the information. So if the president can't get to the radio station, then you become the president. He's cut off from his ability to communicate. So anyone who has had any type of uh, understanding of the real dynamics of the situation here has been deplatformed. And um, I'm, you know, we're just at the beginning. We're going to go on in this direction. So just to give you one instance, or or let's say how it started, this most recent thing started with me, I had had an Amazon Kindle account for years. And I had uh, what, according to them, were bestsellers on Amazon Kindle. And one of them was Jewish Privilege. That was their designation. They told me I had a bestseller. And then at a certain point, uh, the ADL got to them. Now, the ADL declared war on me. Uh, in November of 2019, I was one of the 10 people that was listed that had to be taken off the Internet. Uh, so uh, that was what got that started. I then wrote a review that so that they took down Jewish privilege, but thus everything else. Up. then I did a review of a series on Amazon Prime called Hunter's which is about uh, Nazi hunters, and uh, it is a completely loathsome uh, series in which the Jews have the right to kill you if they suspect that you're a Nazi. So, uh, uh, comp- uh, first of all, it's, it goes way beyond hate speech. It goes to the actual incitement of violence towards certain groups of people. So I wrote that uh, review. This is a review of a film on Amazon Prime. Posted it on Kindle, and that got my entire Kindle uh, uh, account taken down. So what, what's emerging here? Okay, you can't cri- you can't criticize Jews. You can't talk about Jews, not whether whether what you're saying is true or not. You simply can't use the word because they have a robot that goes through and picks up that word. And secondly. You can't criticize Amazon either, evidently. Uh, they can advocate violence. When you object to it, you get taken down. And then the next thing to, ha- to happen after that was the, uh, the entire Amazon account was just obliterated. Now, that's, that's not just taking down my books. That's all the people that wrote reviews about my books. Uh, they were all positive reviews. Including a lot of positive reviews about the Jewish revolutionary spirit, which have been up for years. That's all get taken away. Who who owned those reviews? Didn't those people have a right to own their reviews here or something like that? Whatever. No questions asked. No explanation. You're just gone. And that's that. And that was Amazon. And then a week or so later, it was uh, YouTube. Uh, Again, no explanation. The explanation on YouTube was that I violated their... Uh, there are rules against hate speech.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's what they say when when, you know, as I said, I think the last time I spoke to you, you know, they they've deleted about eight of my videos. I haven't quite had my channel deleted yet, but I mean I, I don't have the you know the following that you have. But I mean other things they can do, um, and I noticed this, but someone uh, pointed this out to me on they have a they have a little section where you can click to publish to the subscriptions that's your subscribers to let them know so they get notifications of when you've done a video and i looked on my channel and that that option has been completely grayed out so they are they have stopped uh even my subscribers getting videos i've been doing which i've suspected these this type of shadow batting has been going on for a while obviously and that's happened there as well so i mean most of my subscribers don't even get a notification when i do a video and i um where do we go from here? What is the response to this? Obviously, I saw a tweet you put out, which was uh, which was great. You said Jesus Christ won't, uh, doesn't rely on Amazon or YouTube uh, to to get the, uh, the the gospel and and logos out there. But you know, we're, we're kind of we're not running out of platforms per se. But I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that watched your videos on YouTube. Uh, you had a you had a significant following on there. What is our response to this? Uh, I mean, obviously, I've I've invested more on the radio side of things rather than my YouTube channel because I've, I've seen this coming and, and they were deleting my videos and censoring me, you know, two years ago. So it, I was loath to put too much energy into my YouTube channel. Um, but I, what is the response to this, do you think? I think the response has to be to
1: establish secure channels of communication because that's we're, what we're seeing here is psychological warfare. Psychological warfare is di- disruption – or prohibition of unauthorized communication among subject peoples. That's what it is. So all of those things are now true. All of those things you thought were fantasies, conspiracy fantasies, no, they're all true. There are people there who are using this against people to disrupt their ability to talk to each other, while at the same time patting themselves on the back and saying how great they are in terms of spreading social media and blah, 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 all that type of stuff. That's what's going on, you have to establish Uh, secure channels of communication. Now, you can do that by going to culturewars.com and buying something. Uh, Put your money where your mouth is, okay? I've given you a lot of free content on YouTube. If you want the real stuff, it's in books, and it's in a magazine called Culture Wars Magazine. If you buy that, you're on our list, and we we know who you are. If it's YouTube, they know who you are. That's the difference. And that's that's the, the direction we're going to have to go here. Um, now, I don't see this lasting forever. I think that we're pressing on toward a resolution. <clears throat> I think we're in the middle of a revolution. I think it's focused on Donald Trump and preventing him from getting elected. I've just watched a video uh, where all the Antifa people are saying there will be an uprising if he's reelected. Uh, there will be a a... a a resolution to this, I think, one way way or the other. I don't see this going on forever.
0: Yeah, up until very recently, I think, <clears throat> obviously, uh, distracted by the BLM riots uh, and this revolution movement going on, people haven't been talking up until very recently about the fact that Trump seems to be way down in the polls for what we can um, you know, put our trust in, in the polls. Um, perhaps his, his Mount Rushmore speech it was uh, a bit more of a pushback. Um, but, I mean, it, it's not a given that, that Donald Trump is going to win a second election. And if the worst should happen and he doesn't, um, how bad is it going to get? I mean, what, what uh, sort of America are we going to be looking at under a, a Democratic White House?
1: It will be like one big uh, university campus because that's where all this began political correctness began at the universities. The revolutionaries took over the universities. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I started this talking about this 40 years ago, which is when I started the magazine because I'd just been expelled from the university. 40 years ago is also the year in which Joe Buttigieg arrived at Notre Dame University. Joe Buttigieg uh, did nothing academically. It was one Crappy book, which is a re- recycled dissertation. But he spent his entire life uh, promoting the thought of uh, Antonio Gramsci, which is basically how do revolutionaries take over a traditional society? That's what Gramsci was an Italian. And he applied that to Notre Dame, and they took over the university. And what you had was a group of people who took over universities and used them as a power base. That led to the takeover of South Bend, Indiana, because Joe Buttigieg's son, Pete Buttigieg, became mayor here, largely because of the connivance of the revolutionaries at the university. Okay, so one of the things they did was deliberately suppress his uh, homosexuality, any mention of his homosexuality. The gay and lesbian organization at uh, Notre Dame and St. Mary's endorsed his opponent to throw everyone off the track. This type of stuff was going on at this time. What we've seen over this period of time as well is that uh, George Soros has gotten involved in local politics. He started funding candidates in races for attorney general, for example, not not attorney, uh, 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 district attorney in cities, for example. And what you saw during this rioting was suddenly you realize that the revolutionaries already are in control of certain government agencies. Two of them, to give you examples, uh, Chicago and Seattle. What do these two cities have in common? They are both run by lesbian mayors. Both of those lesbian mayors were appointed as U.S. attorneys to those districts by Obama. Both of these, neither of these lesbian mayors, had any interest in restoring order to the city, or let, let's put it this way: they had no uh, no interest whatsoever to antagonize the anti Black Lives Matter crowd that were burning down their their city, because they saw them as their constituents. And so, as a result, I have this uh, there's a report that's coming out in the next issue of Culture Wars. Uh, where I talked to a cop from Chicago and he told me their orders were to deploy and stand down. Well, that's a contradiction. So you're sending cops into uh, a group of violent people who have no compulsion, compunction about attacking you physically with no riot gear and in small groups that easily got isolated. So the result was a catastrophe in both Chicago and Seattle. Seattle became famous for a while because they, this group of anti Black Lives Matter, took over a whole section of the city and declared it an independent country. Chop! And like, and like most socialist countries, they ran out of food almost immediately.
0: <laughs> the greatest, the greatest recruitment drive for conservatism, uh, for for those uh, tragic enough to participate in that experiment.
1: That's why I think, I think the net result is going to be that Donald Trump gained as a result, gained support because of the way he handled the situation in Washington. And a lot of people now are concerned that uh, basically these people, these district attorneys that were appointed with Soros money are now not going to enforce the law or they'll enforce it selectively. So the, the classic example, now the big issue is going to be St. Louis. St. Louis, uh, there's a group of people who want to take down the statue of St. Louis, rename the place Confluence, and uh, uh, basically uh, take over the city. Okay, now the the attorney general, she's called the circuit attorney, but the, uh, the district attorney there is a black woman who was put in office by Soros money. Okay, as soon as she comes in, her name's Kim Gardner, if you want to look her up. As soon as she comes in, the police in 2019 uh, send 7,000 complaints uh, that she's supposed to prosecute. She prosecutes 1,000 of the 7,000 complaints. She makes it known she's not going to prosecute drug crime anymore. And also, she announces that she's filing a suit against the police force. She also uh, deposes the governor. Now, this sounds like a revolutionary to me, you know? But the revolutionaries in charge of the government. Well, that's an insurrection, you know? And this is, so the culmination of this comes, they have their riots, and then there's a gated community there, okay? The people, the black mob breaks through the gate, breaks down the gate, and they start marching down the street. And this guy, this white guy and his wife come out. He's got a, a... uh, automatic weapon and she's got a, a pistol and uh, everybody's filming it and this goes Fox News did a lot about this and interviewed the guy and so on and so forth it turns out he called the police and the police wouldn't come well if the police don't come you have a duty to get a, a weapon and defend yourself because you're defenseless it turns out now that the c- attorney that I mentioned Kim Gardner is going to file charges against him Yeah. For brandishing a weapon in public, even though he's on private. He's on his own house. He's standing in the front door of his house.
0: You couldn't make it
1: up. No. So so this is why I'm saying we are in the middle of a revolution and the revolution has already uh, taken over significant, uh, significant parts of our government. Yeah. And the question is, is it going to be some type of final battle uh, in November, especially if Trump gets elected? Re-elected.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're lucky over there. You at least have a have a Donald Trump. Uh We, we you know, we also have a lesbian uh, police chief over here. Um Our police have become a joke, unless, of course, it's the in quotes, far right extremists, including 65 and 70 year old old ladies who come down to uh, protect the statues of uh, Winston Churchill, et cetera, as I say, who get branded far-right extremists. The double standarding in the, in the police policing over here is staggering. Um, when it's the so-called far-right white supremacists, they go in there with full riot gear. When, when they're dealing with Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and all the rest of it, it's little pussyfooting around. They're getting pushed back. They're getting bottles thrown at them. They're getting attacked, and they withdraw. As I say, you at least have a Donald Trump over there. I, w- I would admit that, you, you know, we've had some violence over here as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement in response to George Floyd's death very quickly coming across the Atlantic. And we are now branded here as all racists in the UK as well. Um, it, it, it's very audacious. I think we would admit that the, the Jewish deep state is behind most of this. Is Absolutely. it? Is it? Is there ever going to come a time where where their audacity is met with the type of uh, counter audacity and aggression that they are perpetrating? In other words, arrests, in other words, taking control of the military, in other words, dealing with essentially what is now very evidently a fifth column in your country.
1: Right now, right now, they are deliberately invisible. So, as I said, I've said this before, but if you take that uh, that George Floyd incident, there's a white cop kneeling on the neck of a black man on the ground. Okay, you show that to a Palestinian. He says, oh, yeah, that's the Israeli uh, form of uh, subduing people. And it turns out that's true. The ADL arranged for the Minneapolis police force to take training with Israelis in Chicago in 2012. So at that point, you don't you learn the techniques, but you also learn the attitude, which is basically the cops are to the citizens of Minneapolis, what the Israelis are to the Palestinians. In other words, we're not on the same team anymore. We're two different groups of people. All right. That, that's the white side. The black side is that George Soros funds Black Lives Matter. So what you do if you look into a little bit of analysis here,
0: you've got Jews on both sides. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't this the whole cultural and political discourse of our day? Jews and on, on, on one side we got Zionists versus Bolshevism. I mean, you've got the domestic Bolsheviks and then you've got the the Zionists on the other side. Right. Yeah. Well, it turns out it's
1: not. It's even more complicated because there's a leaked memo from the ADL in which Greenblatt is saying he's worried when the Israelis annex the West Bank. Because this will jeopardize his relationship with Black Lives Matter. Uh, yeah. Oh wait a minute! I didn't know you had a relationship with Black Lives Matter. Thanks for telling us. Yeah. Now that's Greenblatt. Greenblatt is a liberal Jew who worked for the Obama administration. <clears throat> okay, but so but they still have the connection with the Israelis, and they're still working with Black Lives Matter. So you got a resurrection of the Black Jewish Alliance, and Jews behind both sides of the of the fight, and now on top of that. You go to St. Louis, it's the same thing all over again. So you get a front man. His name is Umar Lee, and he claims to be a Muslim, although he's obvious he wasn't born that way. Okay, well, he's a former cab driver. He got fired as a cab driver. How is this guy suddenly a leader of St. Louis? Well, the answer is because the Jewish press started writing magazine, uh, uh, magazine articles about him. And one of the rabbis came out there and said, "Yeah, he's—he's a—that's uh, the guy. He's got a real a good story, and so on and so forth." And then it went into the national press because they're Jewish controlled too. So, but then your question is, well, what did Saint—what did Saint Louis do that was so bad? I mean, did he have black slaves? Well, it turns out that he burned the Talmud. Well, all of a sudden, oh, now I understand it. You know, now it's clear that the Jews are behind this thing. Uh, Mm. Even with their proxies, it's the hand of the Jewish uh, manipulator from behind the scenes is becoming obvious. So what does he do? So so let's put it this way. That's one side of the conflict. What's the other side of the conflict? Well, it's Catholics. Obviously the Catholics feel St. Louis is a saint and they want to defend his legacy. And so they're going to the monument and they're saying the rosary okay so what does the front man say he says there's going to be a demonstration by white supremacists and immediately they tweet back and say no no we're not white supremacists we're catholics and we're going to pray the rosary he doesn't he can't allow that okay because what you're dealing with here is not just identity politics you're dealing with identity theft yeah you've got a group of catholics they can't allow them to have their catholic identity They have to turn them into white people because once you're white, you have no rights anymore. You don't have the right to assemble and you don't have the right to free speech. So what happens is that Black Lives Matter gets the tweet that white supremacists are going to show up. They show up and they beat up a 60 year old white uh, Catholic for praying the rosary. Mm. This is the type of uh, dishonest game that's going on here.
0: Yeah, and I mean the media have, in my opinion, largely created the myth of white privilege and white supremacy. Um, most people I know who would fit into this very broad net now of white supremacists, uh, white privileged, and uh, far right extremists, including Nazis, are basically anybody who doesn't want to participate in the revolution.
1: Yes, you've you've been you have this. Conf- this is the, what I'm trying to say. This white identity is a death sentence for any type of movement that it gets applied to. Now, if you apply it to yourself, that's, that's your problem. I think that's a mistake. But I think it, it will be applied to on you whether you like it or not. Because once they do that, you have no rights.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and I think also, you know, part of this whole thing is it's actually, I know it's true over here, it's actually creating resentment in white people where it wasn't there before because people are being under attack for being white and people are sick and tired of it, quite frankly. And I think it is actually on some level creating more, maybe not necessarily racism, but it's it's creating resentment against the whinge culture. And it's difficult sometimes to differentiate between You know, obviously, how much of it is coming from the media has been deliberately stoked up by this other tribe that we've been talking about, and how much of it is, you know, actually in the in the country. How many people do feel, you know, that uh, this is an intolerant country and they're hard done by? Because personally speaking, I have very little time for that type of attitude because I think we are very tolerant here in the West, and. I don't think you know. It's it, a lot of people are feeling that it's not very appreciated, and and if we're going to be attacked over what is essentially, you know, uh, a miracle in my opinion, as to how multiculturalism has actually worked, particularly in 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 European countries, particularly in Britain, and this message of racism is so, you know over exaggerated to the point of being created. And I think it's massively overhyped in America too. I mean, it didn't need to be framed that the cop was a white guy on a black guy. It could have been just a, a, a an over, you know, a, a corrupt cop on an American citizen.
1: But that's not the story. That's not the yeah. revolutionary story. Exactly. There are instances of uh, white cops killing white people, uh, but that never makes the news. No. There are instances every day in Chicago of black people killing other black people on the south side of Chicago. 700 deaths of murders a year on the south side of Chicago. That never makes the news either because the news is what is needed to polarize the situation. The point of this is polarization. The point of this is to create the violence <clears throat> that will then dissolve the society so that they can reform it According to the new pattern, that's yeah, and of course, pretty, yeah, that's pretty yeah. much the, the the formula of shock therapy.
0: Yeah, and of course, the you know the hypocrisy of these people—they don't care one iota for Black Lives. I mean, the the irony is, since this Black Lives Matter movement and the, the subsequent riots, which have not only not been condemned by the mainstream media, but in, and for the most part have been encouraged, and they've been apologists for it. You know, who's who's been the biggest? Uh, you know which group has suffered the most deaths? I mean, eighteen uh, deaths in Chicago, I think, about a month ago in one day. I mean, the majority of people who are dying from these riots are black people, and and, and so many of so many of the businesses and livelihoods of people have been destroyed by the looting and stuff. It, you know, is it, by black people. You know,
1: you cannot predict uh, attitudes according to race. Those days are gone because they don't have a unified culture anymore. So one of the things that came out after this was all these black people who disagreed with Black Lives Matter, yeah. who, basically, who basically don't want to be ordered around by some guy who runs to the front of the parade and says, everybody's following me now. Mm. They, this is one of the things that come out and it's been suppressed. It's been suppressed. It's part of the story. This is, so we did a story, we did a YouTube video with... Uh, in South Bend, the situation in South Bend, two black guys and uh, me and Peter Helland, Mario Sims and his friend. And uh, I think we came to a, a consensus there. I think we understood we could say frankly and openly that there's a certain group here that's promoting this violence and it's neither black nor white. It's, it's the Jews who are trying to resurrect race war and the Black Jewish Alliance, which they've done for seventy years here, so if we can have a meeting in the minds like that here, I think it's an indication that the situation is not the way that it's being described in the media. It's not.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you get you get the only media worth watching in America is uh, is Dr. Carson. I mean, I think he's right. he's he something like four point five million views uh, on average recently for his shows. And I think, you know, CNN and some of these guys, CNB, uh, CNBC and have got like they're, they're less than a million. So if that's any indication, it is actually encouraging. Yeah,
1: he's he's the only one who's really been addressing the situation on mainstream media. And as a result, he's gotten the, that he's gotten that type of attention. Uh, and that's a good that's a good sign. That's a good sign. But that's not going to change the revolutionary situation here. So the question is, how? I think that there's going to be a confrontation in St. Louis. I think St. Louis is important right now, because there is going to be a significant pushback. It is not according to the standard narrative. It exposes the whole Jewish involvement much more directly and overtly than any of these other situations. And the question is, can the people there... Uh, convince their elected representatives to stand up to these people who are not elected by anyone? Or are they going to just subject themselves to this reign of terror uh, uh, under the direction of anybody who shows up and makes the right noise to the Jewish controlled press? That's that's what we're... It's going to come down to a question, a test for representative government. Because representative government is what's at stake right now. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Even the liberal lesb- lesbian in in uh, Seattle had to stand up to the mob eventually, had to drive them out and, and take over. The question is, uh, is this going to prevail? Are we going to have representative government or are we going to have rule by these comp- these tech giant orchestrated mobs, that's what it is. That's yeah. that's. And I think that the crucial thing in Chicago, I'm sorry, in St. Louis, is whether the Catholics can assert their own identity, and secondly, whether they can name the name of the people who are causing the problem. Because this is a big taboo in Catholic circles. It's a taboo anywhere. Anyone who talks about the Jews, anyone who says anything mildly critical of the Jews is immediately called an anti-Semite and is immediately silenced. And that allows them to pursue their revolutionary agenda unhindered. And they will do that until they destroy the country. Someone's got to step up at a certain point and say, no, this is the group responsible if if you don't have some type of responsible people in this group to take charge and silence these people, there's going to be uh, serious consequences, whether you like it or not.
0: Yeah. And I mean, they're a mad dog and they never seem to ever have enough. They just keep pushing us through aggression. I mean, my understanding of, of, of their history in Europe has been exactly that. They just go too far until eventually they get a reaction. Um I mean, I, I, reaction.
1: They, 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 they. Have, this is part of the problem when you have no sense of logos, because you don't know what limits are, and if you don't yeah. know what limits are, you don't know how far to push it, and suddenly you push it too far, and the whole thing goes bad, and you don't know why. And of course, you're going to blame the people. It's their fault. They're all anti-Semites, you know, blah blah. blah. But no, you pushed it too far. That's what happened in Germany in 1919 beginning yeah. in 1919, Germany is defeated in war and the Jewish Bolsheviks all from uh, Russia after taking over Russia, they're ready to take over Germany and they do to a large extent. Yeah. And it was the, uh, the Soviet Republic of Bavaria uh, that was established by Eugen Levine and the other Jews from Russia. And it was the militia, the Bavarian militia from the countryside that basically came back and had to drive them out with violence. It's, it's that simple. And the lesson that the Germans learned was basically that uh, Jews are Bolsheviks, and they're trying to overthrow their country, and that's what uh, allowed Hitler to take power there. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think I mean, it would be, I, as you say, it's a taboo. It's a, it's a taboo in the in the in the Catholic Church. I would say it's probably an even bigger taboo in the larger Protestant Church. But perhaps they should be reminded of how the Bolsheviks did actually deal with the uh, the priests and the Christians. In, uh, in Russia when they, after they overthrew the Tsar there because they, were, they had no mercy for them. So it might be in their, their own personal best interest to call it out now before it gets that bad.
1: Yes, uh, Lenin took power in November of 1917. One month later, he created the Extraordinary Committee for uh, the um, counterterrorism and, or counterrevolution and terrorism. And the initials Mm. in in Russian were uh, the Cheka. The Cheka immediately unleashed a reign of terror on the Russian people, and the Cheka was overwhelmingly staffed by Jews. Everybody in Europe knew this at the time, and as a result, it led to a reaction in places like Germany.
0: Okay, this is just part of history. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a Nobel prize winner for for literature and spent a a large percentage of his lives in the gulags and he was very popular um you know generally and but became very unpopular with a certain group after he said this you must understand the leading bolsheviks who took over russia were not russians they hated russians they hated christians Driven by ethnic hatred, they tortured and slaughtered millions of Russians without a shred of human remorse. It cannot be understood that Bolshevism committed the greatest human slaughter of all time. The fact that most of the world is ignorant and uncaring about this enormous crime is proof that the global media is in the hands of the perpetrators. Right. Well, uh, you know,
1: we know now that the Cheka was a predominantly Jewish organization. Nothing is a 100 percent Jewish organization. But uh, that doesn't mean that they don't control it and they don't, it was, Salo Barone is a Jewish historian. He said that uh, when the Cheka was formed, the Russians were reluctant to torture other Russians, but the Jews weren't reluctant at all. And so they became, they they took over uh, the branches of the Cheka. 75% of the Odessa Cheka were Jews. It varied from place to place, but the reason they were there is because they viewed Russians as some type of alien subhuman species. And they had no compunction about killing them or torturing them. And so one of the first films that came out after the fall of communism was The Chakist, which you can see on, uh, uh, I don't know whether it's on YouTube or not, but it's available to be seen. And you can see this systematic murder of innocent people terrible situation, terrible situation. And, and what you say, I can see this thing forming. Now it starts, it's not going to, it doesn't start with taking people into the basement of Lubyanka and shooting them in the back of the neck. It starts with the control and the systematic destruction of channel channels of communication. That's how it starts and where it goes from there. It depends on what type of resistance people provide.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, my experience of my own, local little church here is that while i think they are they are good men and for the most part i mean they are they have been incredibly supine over this whole uh coronavirus lockdown situation they've opened up the church again and there was a a memo sent out about the you know instructions for how we, we would participate in in the service which involved uh a pa for singing hymns rather than actually singing them uh, because uh the if we sing we might spread the virus uh gloves and masks uh, for the Lord's table uh you know there, there it was like there were so many rules and regulations for this service I, I, it, it was like it, it was like a chapter of Leviticus um, and I mean, you have they've, they've opened up the church. They've opened up the pubs. You can see pictures of everybody, not social distancing, everybody doing what they want. It, it, there hasn't been, a, a you know, any policing of it, really. And yet the church has been so supine and, in my opinion, so spineless that they, they have gone over the top with the regulations Um, So, I mean, I I couldn't help but be vocal about it. And I've had to, you know, I've had to distance myself from them. And I told them, I said, you know, I don't know whether it's more ignorance or whether it's more uh, lack of, you know, testicular fortitude. But, you know, I just find it exasperating. Uh, Either way, it is exasperating. There is very little leadership there, you know.
1: Yeah, well, even uh, Dermot Martin, the Cardinal Archbishop of Dublin, had to protest. I mean, he's going along with everything. And the malls are full on Sundays, and the churches are still, you know, ten people—a limit of ten people—and they all have to wear masks. The hypocrisy here is just too obvious to ignore. And at this point, it looks as if there are certain people who are using the COVID virus as an excuse to crack down on a church that they never liked in the first place.
0: Mm. But to me, it's embarrassing. It's actually not, you know, close to an abomination. To have to you know to to have the a PA in, in the church while you're worshiping God, you haven't even got the faith and the courage to actually sing to the Lord. You have to play it through a PA. You have to have all these rules and regulations. I mean, you know, how can you have such fear and faith side by side? I mean, I understand that their their argument will be, well, we've got to protect people. With you know, there's some old people in there, whatever. But you could do that much easier, or you could say, listen, for people who are really old who don't want to come, don't come. But this is how we're going to worship. We're going to do. We're going to do things the way that we should normally do them. And whoever doesn't want to come, they they don't have to come. I mean, that would have been my attitude, you know.
1: But the church has already accepted a kind of docile role. It's all. I mean, over here it would be called Americanism. Where basically the church accepts the state, uh, uh, the state's uh, uh, legitimacy in encroaching in areas where it doesn't belong. The uh, there was a lawsuit filed in New York and New Jersey that overturned uh, Cuomo's and the other governor's uh, re- regulations as being inherently discriminatory. Basically, taking official notice of what we just said. In terms of the difference between a mall or a pub and a and a church. Uh, but the church is not going to it hasn't the church itself has not contested the rule. The same thing happened in San Francisco, where the bishop was thought there was going to be some type of opening up, and then he's been informed, no, there's not going to be. And then he protests and saying, Well, I thought we agreed. And they're saying, No, you're wrong, and you're going to do this. And they just said, okay, we'll do it. No resistance. No resistance.
0: It's incredibly disappointing. Um, it really is, as I say. I mean, this is the, the line that I was sent, that we were sent out. It said, when the service is in the main church, the hymns will be relayed over the PA system. People are free to join in. However, in the church building, people are encouraged to refrain from singing out loud because this is deemed to increase the risk of transmission from aerosol and droplets. Um, uh, the crest will be closed. No refreshments will be served. We will have, uh, they, they've got like arrows and stuff to, to, you know, to direct the traffic. You can go this way, but you can't go that way. I mean, why bother? You know, why bother going there? It just stresses you out, you know? I mean, you may as well just continue doing it on Zoom.
1: Well, that's part of the problem. Or they, they are going to pay a price. If the church goes along with this, they're going to pay a price in terms of church attendance. Because people will get into the habit of not going to church. And that is not in their interest, but it is in the interest of a a government that perceives or an oligarchy that perceives the church as an enemy. And so why are you playing along with your enemies? Well, because you believe in science and you believe that science is the ultimate uh, expression of reality. And if someone says, I'm a scientist, they are in contact with ultimate reality reality. Whereas if you say I'm a believer, that means you have uh, uh, nice ideas that make you feel better, but they don't have correspond to reality. This is the subtext, I think, of what, of what the church is admitting to by following these rules.
0: Yeah, or I think is it? I forget the exact passage. I think it was in. It may have been in Timothy somewhere. Having a form of godliness but denying the power therein. You know. So when it comes to it, uh, you know they. They, they they back down, as you say, they defer to, uh, you know, essentially speculation and, and in many cases deception dressed up as, as, as science. Um, and I think a lot of the time it's simply they don't want the inconvenience of uh, possible um, persecution. But, you know, the, the church has been built on the blood of the martyrs, but there won't be many martyrs today because you actually have to stand for something to be uh, persecuted, you know.
1: They may be afraid of lawsuits. Or that's what I've heard. Yeah, but well, even even with that, there's there's no justification. No. The, the, the the justification that I've seen is based on categories that are just not in contact with reality. I called it ahistorical Thomism. A Dominican wrote an article, and he talks about the state this and medicine that. Well, what do you mean by the state? Are are you saying that this there is no Platonic essence known as the state? We live in a particular situation. Where the state has become the pawn of larger interests that largely through the money that gets spent in, in fina- financing political campaigns. Mm. Medicine is the same thing. I mean, yeah, there's a thing called medicine. It's a good idea if to restore health, but that's been taken over too by, by oligarchs, by big pharma who then determine uh, what gets made, the drugs get made, The whole rise of vaccines, for example, as being immune from any type of legal prosecution, and so therefore they don't have to be tested properly. All these things have been weaponized, and the church doesn't seem to know this. The church is the last guy to know that uh, this type of weaponization is happening, and so they naively just follow all these commands to their detriment.
0: That is the most frustrating thing, the lack of discernment, the lack of knowledge, the lack of kind of any, um, you know, any discernment about the cultural threat and how the church has been absorbed by the wider culture. and it, i as i say i find it incredibly frustrating i i, I perhaps i was a bit harsh on my pastor and my response to that little memo we sent out but I, at the same time i think maybe a little jolt is required um you know to snap them out of their apathy and their and their ignorance yeah. you know See, um, i was i remember when
1: uh, archbishop Vigano issued that first petition which i thought was a good idea and i actually i was reading it in german and suddenly the words social engineering just jumped off the page at me. They didn't translate. There is no German translation for social engineering. It's an English term. Uh, but suddenly I thought, wow, the church has awakened to the fact that there is such a thing called social engineering. You know, uh, a, half a century after social engineering <laughs> destroyed all of the parishes on the south side of Chicago. Yeah. And, they don't, and they still don't admit that it existed. This is the uh, type of head in the sand attitude that is a disaster. Why, yeah. why don't you know that? How is it that Archbishop Vigano is the first guy in the history of the Catholic Church, the first bishop to ever use the term social engineering? How is that possible? And then he went on to, you know, then he wrote another letter in which he started talking about bl- blaming Vatican II and Freemasons. And I thought, here we go again. You're back yeah. in the same down the rabbit hole again. Yeah. First of all, you're blaming the victim when you blame Vatican II. And secondly, you're showing a complete ignorance of what was really happening at Vatican II. No mention of the Jews or the CIA, Malachi Martin, John Courtney Murray. No, no context, no specifics. And then on top of that, uh, you're talking about uh, Freemasonry. Well, Freemasons over here, are they, they wear fezzes on the 4th of July, and they drive go-karts, and that's about all they do. They're an obsolete political movement. Yeah. You're, 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 too, you're three centuries too late. In the 18th century, <laughs> Freemasonry was a serious, serious subversive movement throughout Europe, and it led to the French Revolution. But the church didn't know that then, and now you're talking about Freemasonry when it's an obsolete political movement that has no bearing on anything that we're talking about. So I was disappointed in his second letter.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is, very, it is very frustrating because, you know, you like to have some Christian fellowship, and if everything's kind of going along normal, you can, you, can, you know, you can get on with it. But immediately... You know, I was in conflict with with my local fellowship over over the coronavirus, about the ignorance of it, looking at the stats, looking at who's been affected. Do we, you know, do we really need to shut the whole economy down? Is the cure worse than the disease? Then Black Lives Matter movement came along. We were suddenly doing a uh, for the the, we were doing a, a discussion on Zoom on racism. Um, which caused more tension because, of course, we're not having a discussion on racism. We're having a discussion on early 21st century Jewish inspired cultural Marxism, which they haven't a clue about. And it's just it's it's really challenging to fellowship with people because you feel as if and they are the leadership of the church. And I I have no desire to lead, but it's very difficult. I mean, what's it like for you over there? I mean, you know, have you got good Catholics around you who are who are aware of things? Who do you fellowship with?
1: Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, every Saturday after Mass, I get together with a group of guys at a Mexican restaurant. Well, that Mexican restaurant was closed. Yeah. So we suddenly didn't have a place to gather anymore. And then they opened up with all these regulations that were basically uh, calculated to destroy all small businesses. Yeah, and yeah. That's becoming clear. So that you can, you will be able to eat at McDonald's, uh, and that's not going to go away. But to, for the Mexican who's trying to get a start uh, on life by having his own business, he will be destroyed. So yeah. This is what this is the net result of this, and uh, it's disheartening. It's disheartening when people when you can't talk to people. But yeah, I mean that's that's changing in a way. It's changing. Uh, it's it maybe it's not as changing as fast as we'd like it. But so I'm riding my bike home, and a guy on the sidewalk says, "You're E. Michael Jones, aren't you?" I said, yeah. He says, I've watched all your YouTube videos, just a guy on the street. I said, great. And I said, what do you? And he says, I work for the federal government here. Well, so it's spreading. So the word is spreading. Uh, uh, How long is it going to take? A crisis will spread it faster. And we're heading, I think we're heading toward the crisis in St. Louis. That's my feeling. That it's going to come to some type of. explicit confrontation on the lines that are actually there rather than doing all this mystification and shadow boxing. And the church will be called to take a stand either for the gospel or against the gospel Mm. in that place, in that place, which is under the patronage of a saint, a Catholic saint. Are they going to stand with the saint? Is the new bishop going to stand with the saint? Or is he going to go along with the fiction, that Jews are our friends and collaborate with the church's enemies?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Another thing is that uh, I'm wondering about. It's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously, they've they've got they've canceled your and deleted both your channels. But, you know, in the last couple of years, your popularity uh, online has exploded and you've been interviewed by a lot of people. I mean, I'm going to upload this to my YouTube channel. Uh, you know, I will air it on my radio shows where I'll feel that, that it's more secure and actually being heard. But there's a lot of people who have interviewed you. Are they going to delete all their channels as well? I mean, people. No, who are... <laughs> no,
1: no. That's not. It's not going to work that way, because no. I I go on. If you type in the Google, the YouTube search engine, all of my a lot of videos come up, but it's all on other people's channels. Exactly. So what are they going to do? Yeah. How are they going to stop that? Delete well, everyone. At a certain point, you're going to destroy YouTube. This I think this is precisely the battle right now with Facebook, because all of these uh, these Jewish front groups, the thought controllers, they've all had a big meeting with Jeff Zuckerberg. And Zuckerberg, I think, is smart enough to realize that they want me to commit suicide. Yeah. So the Jews don't. uh, He's a Jew. I mean, but uh, the other Jews want you to ruin your own operation because we said so. And we don't like these people. Yeah. Well, Susan Susan Wojcicki has been stupid enough to do that. Uh, I don't think Jeff Zuckerberg is going to do it because they're mad at him. They said he did not go. Uh, he did not agree to get rid of the people they don't like. So it's going to come down to some type of conflict like that, like that. Uh, and I don't. You can't tell how it's going to end up because you're in the middle of the battle right now. We are in the middle of a revolution right now. I don't know how it's going to turn out. It depends on the decisions of a lot of different people. Whether they do the right thing or the wrong thing. Whether they have the courage to stand up or whether they run away like cowards. And I don't know because they probably don't know. They might not even know until they're in the actual situation. How they're going to react.
0: And for many of them, like we alluded to with the church, and actually realize that they're in a battle.
1: Well, no, they're, that's the problem. They don't know they're in a battle.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: That's exactly the problem that, you know, it can't be the Jews. They're our friends. Mm. They're our elder brothers. This is the, t- the type of uh, uh, a toxic and tragic illusion that mm. these churchmen are still holding on to after so many years of evidence proving the contrary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is hard to listen to you right? this. It's kind of, it's all, not only do they not r- recognize them as enemies of the gospel, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a loving, you know, this idea that, you know, that we somehow owe them something because of the, uh, the Old Testament and uh, all the rest of the nonsense that you have to listen to, you know.
1: These are not the heirs of the Old Testament. These are people who are in rebellion against the Old Testament. Exactly. We are the heirs. The Christians are the heirs of the Old Testament. That's the straight line in history. We're the we're the we're the descendants.
0: We are the children of Moses. Yeah. Not them. We are. Yeah, we are the Abraham seed. That's right. All right, Mike. We'll wrap it up. Um, give out whatever your platforms. Obviously, uh, Culture Wars magazine. Subscribe to Culture Wars magazine. Buy the books. The, the most recent one is obviously Logos Rising. Uh, the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Uh, I've got a copy of it here. Um, it's a brilliant book. Um, Where else? What other platforms? Obviously, you know, I will say you're more well, you're welcome to come on with more frequency, if you like, on my, my radio platforms and come and coming weeks. Uh, We could do that more often. Um, Go ahead, wherever else you want to promote.
1: Yeah, I look, I'm not the tech guy here and we have all sorts of platforms, but you can find out what they are simply by going to culturewars.com and all of the outlets will be listed. We're on BitChute. We're on Instagram. We have Twitter and all these other things. And uh, we're, we're, selling, we're selling a lot of books. We're selling a lot of books. So this is the time to, as I said, establish secure channels of communication by getting on our list rather than getting on Google's list, uh, which is what you do when you do YouTube or when you do any of those other things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, Mike. Well, it was a pleasure as always. Uh, thanks for coming on. As I say, we'll do it again soon. we will maybe get you on uh, over. It's about, what, three or four months since I last interview. I'll try and yes. leave it, uh, not leave it as long the next time. We'll get you on uh, Revision Media or RevolutionMedia.com. Dot, uh, dot
1: Thank you, Paul. Send me the link. I and
0: will we'll do, pull... Mike.
1: Thank you. Okay. All right. All right God Bye bless.
0: You. Bye-bye.